Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. You know, if we're being completely honest, because over the last couple of years I've had the opportunity to put together various different Christmas messages leading up to Christmas, and if we're being honest, we've gotten pretty used to crazy Christmases, have we not? Of course, last year was, or you know, two years ago was probably the craziest, right? The pandemic Christmas. We've had a couple pandemic Christmases, if you will. I remember warnings, governmental warnings, uh, warnings from others. If you read Facebook, you get warnings of every kind, right? From every single person, in, uh, educated or not on the matter. But you hear these things. Don't travel. Don't gather with your families. Have, uh, having Christmas with grandma will likely kill her. We remember these messages. We've had to live through these kinds of Christmases over the last two years or so. We've also had the high alert Christmases, right? Uh, We're on the brink of war. Everything is being held together loosely. It'll either be China or North Korea or Russia as soon as the balance is tipped, right? Christmas, in light of these impending threats that face our world that we try to tune out at this time of year. We've had the Christmases of division, have we not? Um, you know, something a little like this. How could you vote for Trump? I can't believe you voted for Biden. You know, what about his tweets? What about his hair sniffing? I mean, this is just, let's be honest, it's been pretty crazy, the kinds of Christmases we've had and the weird things that families argue about um, as we've gotten together. These are the realities we face just in recent Christmases. And now, of course, we have the, the Christmas between inflation and recession. So uh, if you tune into the news, you've got nothing but things to worry about at Christmas time. You know, I don't even want to begin to guess what's next uh, in terms of what we're supposed to be contending with at Christmas time. But here's the thing, maybe, just maybe, it's appropriate that we deal with rough times, that we contend with some hardships, that it's not necessarily peachy keen at Christmas time. Why do I say that? Because after all, the promises of the first Christmas came to Israel during rough times. And even Jesus entering the world 2,000 years ago happened at rough times in Israel's history. Perhaps all the darkness reminds us how important the light coming into the world truly is. And this is certainly the case with our passage today. Uh, Israel is in rough times. And God raises up Isaiah with a promise of hope for the nation of Israel. And so we're going to take a look at this passage together. If you will, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. And again, we're going to be starting in verse 19. Isaiah 8, starting in verse 19. For those of you who don't have a Bible with you, uh, it will be up on the screen as well. But here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 19. It says, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? 
Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. I guess it helps, perhaps, if you had the context of this passage. Israel is in the middle of a rough time. In fact, Israel, like many other times in its history, is uh, dealing with the reality that there is a superpower, a world power that is is threatening to invade them, to conquer them, to kill their people, to take over their lands, and they're scared to death. And the king has absolutely no idea what to do. And so, of course, he's consulting his advisors. He's even trying to make uh, uh, an arrangement with another world power that has not treated Israel well in its history in the hopes that that alliance will protect them from this coming threat. And here in our passage today, they see, we see that they're even consulting mediums, those who talk to the dead, and spiritists, those who consult with spirits. They're consulting with everybody except for God when it comes to contending with the issues that are facing Israel at this time. And it's in this context that Isaiah gives this wake-up call from God, this warning, this prophecy. What is wrong with you? Instead of coming to God, who's the only source of truth, you and your cleverness are approaching every other person, context, to try to find answers to problems. And all you're doing is looking out in darkness and being led further into darkness when God is the only one who has answers. And this is the context that we see. Bad leadership leading the whole nation into terrible times, even worse than they're currently facing. Again, these are dangerous times for Israel. The threat of the growing world power, temptation to align with another world power, temptation to seek answers anywhere except from the Lord. And what we find is that these efforts are both foolish and ultimately futile. You know, the funny thing is we in America, we modern Western people also tend to search for answers everywhere except, except from God. And in the same way, it's both foolish and futile. Here's just some of the ways that we do this as a people, as a society. People still seek answers from psychics and those who claim to be able to communicate with the dead. People still put stock in fortune cookies and horoscopes. I once knew a person who would not board a plane because they opened up their fortune cookie and the fortune was blank and they were flying later that day. I commented to our Sunday school class this morning that just a few weeks ago, I'm driving down US-1, and as I'm looking at the stores, the storefronts, all I see is, you know, oh, look, a psychic reading place. Oh, look, a fortune-telling place. Oh, look, a palm-reading place. They're everywhere. In our society today, we have not yet gotten away from these ways of looking at everything except God for answers. People also seek answers from analysts, economists, activists, celebrities, YouTube influencers, governmental leaders, and just about anybody else who has both a loud voice and a platform. The problem is a loud voice and a platform does not equal truth. But we see over and over that God's word is truth. It's truth, and so because of that, it provides discernment 
on the times that we live in. Have you found this in your reading of the scriptures that regardless of when you're reading it, regardless of when it was written, it speaks truth that is relevant today and for us. It's not a book that ever gets outdated because these truths of God are timeless. And so as we face realities in our day, struggles and trials and hard times, it still provides discernment of the times that one lives in. It provides instruction on how one is to live in such times, both to prosper within the times we live in and also to be focused on what matters to God and building up his kingdom to be ready for his return. It guides people to the provision that God has made available out of his grace, out of his kindness, out of his generosity. It, it points to the one who provides for every need. It points the way to God's future promises. The things that provide us light in the midst of darkness, hope in the midst of hopelessness, God's word, which is truth, points us toward God's future promises. And against the backdrop of Israel's hardships, God is about to make a really important promise in our text today. So continuing on, again, if you have your Bible in front of you, it's Isaiah 9, verse 1. Here's what he goes on to say. He says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be, fueled, will be fuel for the fire. Do you realize that in this moment, as Isaiah is prophesying, as Isaiah is giving these words that he received from the Lord, he is speaking to a, a people that is distraught from top to bottom. They feel the threat that is all around them. They're worried in the same way we would be for not only their own lives, but their kids, their grandkids, their great-grandkids, the homes that they have inherited from their parents for generations and generations, the future of their nation, the promises God has had for them. This is a people who is scared to lose everything. This is a people who are dealing with depression over all the things that face the nation right now. And what Isaiah is doing is he's promising what God has said is going to come in the future. And he's doing it in modern terms. And he's saying, here's what's happening. God is bringing light. God is giving peace. And God is going to bring rejoicing, joy from this people that is battered and broken and depressed. This is the promise that he's saying. He says, better times are coming. Last week, we saw John's metaphor uh, for Jesus and his mission, that Jesus is this light that has come into the world, that has come into the darkness. And uh, I'm quite sure he had this passage, among others, in mind when he wrote that. Here's what we see again in verse 2. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, 
On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so we see that God is about to bring light into darkness. Darkness is all-encompassing sometimes, isn't it? You ever walk into a room or wake up in the middle of the night, and there's not a drop of light that's anywhere, and it's just you can't see your hand right in front of your face. And yet in just an instant when light comes, it just forces the darkness back. And this is the image that we have here, that these people who've been walking around in darkness, stumbling, can't see their hand in front of their face, and God is about to burst forth the light on them. Last week, I described light in these terms, that God is light, right? In him, there's no darkness at all. That's from 1 John uh, 1, 5. God created a world that was so perfect that it literally reflected God's glory. It pointed to the creator. And we, too, were created in God's image, right? We're his image bearers. What does that even mean? That means that we were called, we were created, we were commissioned to be able to reflect God's glory throughout the world. And yet something happened, right? Darkness was introduced to this world of light that God had created. And here's what I said last week about the darkness. That when humanity rebelled and sin entered God's perfect world, the light of God, his glory, was obscured throughout all of creation. It wasn't diminished. God and his glory and his light never change. It can't be taken away. It can't be turned off. But we failed to reflect it well. And so it was obscured throughout the world. Darkness had now taken place and the Lord's light wasn't shining the way it was intended to because we had obscured it through our sin. Human beings, again, created a God's image to image him and now we muddied it by sin. But Jesus came to make it possible for people to come out of the darkness and to become children of light. And one day, according to the scriptures, there is a day coming when there will be no more darkness at all. In the way that God had originally created the world to reflect his glory and not have any darkness in it, he will make all things new and once again the world will be that way. I've told you about darkness that Israel faced in Isaiah's day when this promise was first given to them. Israel also faced darkness centuries later when Jesus finally arrived. When God was making good on this promise, it was against the backdrop of darkness. In fact, here are some of the realities of darkness that faced Israel at the time of Jesus came. And this is the short list. They were under the oppression of a foreign superpower, this Roman Empire. They were under the regional control of a tyrant uh, client king, Herod, who was put in place by Rome. Jews were conscripted into Herod's armies to fight Rome's battles. Uh, the Jews were heavily taxed, and not even just by Rome, but they were taken advantage of by uh, those who the Romans had put in place to collect these taxes. Jerusalem itself was occupied by Roman troops who often ridiculed the Jews and made worship difficult at times. Factions of Jewish leaders were sold out, uh, were so sold out to Rome because they profited heavily from that relationship, and that was to the detriment of the people at large. And things were so bad that even these zealot groups were rising up uh, to fight and start, start fights against the Romans, and everybody paid the price when these outbreaks broke up. And again, this is the short list of the darkness that permeated this area, the rough times that they faced when Jesus came the first time, when the light dawned. 
and God promised the light, and Jesus arrived. You know, we live in dark times now, don't we? Uh, I don't have to recount the facts for you because we're all very much aware of them. As a people, as a nation, the Western world, we're no better than Israel and Isaiah's day. Instead of seeking God, we try to solve our own problems with, wrong world, with, with the, wrong, the wrong means. Israel, in that time, sought alliances with other people instead of seeking God. Instead of seeking God, they sought answers from the dead regarding how to proceed. And we also try to solve our problems apart from God. And again, it's futile. Here's the truth. We will never be able to fix the systemic problems of our world. We, as human beings, do not have the capacity to fix the systemic problems in our world. We will never create a world without war. We will never create a world without prejudice. We will never create a world without self-destruction, without addiction, without pride, without self-centeredness, etc., etc. And I know that this is a hard message and one that the, the news and, and, and the people in our world try to tell you the exact opposite, that we can bind together to fix our problems. We cannot do it. We do not have the capacity in the thousands. And however long human beings have been on this earth has proven that we do nothing but mess it up. We cannot make it better ourselves because we still live in a world of darkness. And the more humanity fumbles in the darkness, even with the hopes of doing good, the more of a mess we end up making ourselves. But friends, this is not a statement of hopelessness. It just means that we can't be the authors of our own solutions because God never intended us to be. Uh, God is the one that brings the solution to the problems. God is the one who brings light to the darkness. We see this in Isaiah 9.1. It says, Nevertheless, there, there will be no more gloom on those who are in distress. Why? Because Israel's finally going to figure it out? Because the king is going to get wise? No. Because God brings the solution. God brings the light. And we see in our text in Isaiah that God did this in Jesus. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 say this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I love that it ends there because all these good things are happening, not because the king is going to do something better or you consulted the right source or you did the right things, but because the zeal of God will accomplish this. Everything we read in John 1 last week was true. Jesus came as light into the darkness. Jesus came that people might be saved, might move from darkness to light. Jesus made it possible that God's light could spread again across the earth as the gospel goes forth, as it has for the past 2,000 years. But the truth of the matter is that God's ultimate promises, which we see in this Isaiah passage, they didn't, come, they didn't happen when Jesus come, came the first time. They haven't yet come to pass. Jesus' first coming as a baby in Bethlehem made everything possible. However, it is Jesus' second coming 
That is the ultimate promise of God. That is the fulfillment of these things that we see in Isaiah's promise to the, to the, to the Jews in this time. Look at our passage. This is a passage, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, often read at Christmas time. And yet, it is not a Christmas passage. Here's what it's, it's a second coming of Jesus passage. Here's what it says. For to us a child is born, that's what throws us. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We tend to look at realities, biblical realities, in spiritual ways, right? We tend to think that, you know, Jesus has reigned since he came. And, and, and one day we're going to be with him forever in heaven. But this is a literal government for a literal king on a literal throne over a literal nation. This is the way it would have been interpreted by Isaiah's readers, his hearers. This is how Isaiah would have intended it. And so what do we see here? That Isaiah, speaking for God, is speaking to a nation with a terrible king, with terrible leadership, facing a nation that is constantly under threat. And he's saying there's a day coming when God will put, bring the solution, when God will bring light into all this darkness, when God will turn your sorrow into joy because there is a king that's coming that God himself will bring. He will be a child in the line of David. He will reign on David's throne. He will reign over the nation and his reign will be marked by peace, which is the exact opposite of everything Israel faced as Isaiah made this prophecy. And you know, they've had times of peace before. They've had times when God has relented of punishment or brought deliverance, and they've had times of peace, seasons of peace, moments of peace. But he's saying that this peace that comes when this king arrives is one that will never end. It will go on and on forever, so far, so, so far into this realm of peace that any of our weapons of war, any of our outfits that are stained in the blood of war, any thought of all these things is gone. We could burn them. We don't need them anymore because we are enjoying the peace of this king who is to come forever, and God is the one who will bring him. And as we look forward to what God has in store for us in Jesus... It is a king that is going to come to reign on this earth, eventually making earth new and reigning there forever in peace with no more sin, no more sorrow, no more brokenness. And God is bringing the solution, not just to Israel, but to all the world's hardships, all the world's trouble. There will be no darkness at all. We live in dark times. Even at Christmas, we recognize this. But light has come into the world. And as a result, we know the following to be true. We know that Jesus will come again. We know that Jesus will lead those who have come into the light into their ultimate inheritance to receive all the promises that he has in store for them. We know that all will be made new. And we know that there will be no more darkness ever again. And this isn't some metaphor for a spiritual reality. In fact, 
God has spelled it out for us that this will be true right here on earth. If you have your Bibles with you, flip with me to Revelation chapter 21. This will be our closing passage. And I want you to flip there if your Bibles are here because this is a passage that you ought to put a bookmark in, put a star next to. You know, as we go through hard times in this world, right, we tend to look just at the hard times. We tend to look for relief just beyond the hard times. If this law changes, if that leader gets elected, if this changes or if that changes, we'll have some relief from this hard time. This is how Israel looked at it. Israel looked at it in this way. Here's the threat. Here's the hardship. If we could just get past this one thing. And so we'll make an alliance. We'll consult the dead. We'll consult spirits. Anything just to get past this one thing. We can't live like that. As we face hard times in this world, we can't look at just getting past this next hardship. We have to keep our eyes on the future promise of God, and that'll get us through every hard time we ever face in our lives. Here's what he says in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things had passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, we look forward to the realization of Isaiah's promise, Isaiah's prophecy made to Israel all those years ago. Because yes, God was working out his salvific plan. Yes, Jesus came 2,000 years ago on schedule to do what needed to be done to secure these future promises. But it's those future promises that Isaiah looked forward to, that Israel looked forward to, that we look forward to. We don't just look back at Christmas time at what God has done. We look forward to what God is going to do when Jesus comes again. And it puts everything we face in this life in context because our true hope is not rooted in getting past our current struggle it's in receiving the inheritance that god has promised us in jesus and we will receive when he comes again and he said it write this down for these words are trustworthy and true or to quote isaiah the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this so this christmas celebrate what god did at the first christmas by bringing Jesus into the world just as he said he would. Trust that because he did that, 
he will also be faithful to his promise to send Jesus again. Join Jesus in the mission of spreading the good news that people can become children of light instead of prisoners of darkness. What Jesus began, he entrusted to his people, the church, and he walks alongside them as we proclaim the good news that light has come into the world. We have the privilege of being a part of that mission, joining God in what he's doing on the earth, and we have to take this seriously. This Christmas, look past the hopelessness of the world around us, not ignorant of it, not pretending it doesn't exist, but recognizing that it's not the end of the story. It's not the ultimate reality, right? Cling to what God has said in his word because his word is truth and it will help us discern the times we live in. It'll give us instruction for the times we live in and it'll give us hope of the time to come that puts this time that we live in in perspective. And again, share hope with those who desperately need it this Christmas season. Friends, we do live in a hard world. And I might have made light with all the different stressors we've had over the last several Christmases. <laughs> Maybe it's not something to make light about. It's been difficult Christmases. It's been difficult years. And we face difficult realities today. But because you and I have given our, committed our lives to Christ, because we take God at his word, we have encouragement. We have hope. Sometimes our eyes are on the wrong place, but we know where to fix them to help us get past the difficult realities. But we live in a world full of people who have no hope. All they have is the problem in front of them. They don't know that there's an ultimate solution to all the world's problems. They don't know that a day is coming when there will be no more pain and sorrow, no more tears, no more death, and that they can be prepared for that day and that's where we get the privilege of stepping in to be able to share this hope that we have and that they so desperately need. Friends, would you do that with me this Christmas season? Would you love somebody enough to tell them the truth about Jesus this Christmas season?